following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. Hello, listeners on Saga 960 AM and those listening around the world on streaming and podcast services. This is It's Not Therapy. I'm Leanna Kersner, and I am not a therapist, but I am your source for practical advice for everyday problems using my top 10 sayings for checking in with your best self. This episode, I'm going to focus on screwing up. So you screwed up. We all do it. I do it pretty much daily. And we're going to talk about how to make it easier. Later in the show, I've got psychologist John Am Amadeo talking to me from California on his advice for handling mistakes better. And I screwed up John's name there because I'm so worried about mispronouncing it because I got it wrong the first few times. Of course, I set the table every week first. And I want your questions. If you want to ask a question on this or any other topic, give me a call to 89275-9600 or email me at liana at nottherapyshow.com. That's L-I-A-N-A at nottherapyshow.com. Or just go to nottherapyshow.com, fill out the contact form on the website. You can also find additional content by me at nottherapyshow on Twitter and Instagram. Fear of making a mistake is a big one for my clients. A lot of people have had bad experiences with friends abandoning them after what appeared to be a little thing. Others have families that define them by their worst moments. Some clients had both, as well as a punitive workplace. All this stuff can really pile up and make mistakes seem like the end of the world. Most of the time it's not though. Yeah, sometimes you make big mistakes, but this episode is gonna be predominantly about those little ones that can often seem bigger than they are because of the reaction you receive. Okay, small to medium-sized mistakes, but still, how do you make mistakes feel less awful? Now, right off the bat, it is possible to cultivate environments where mistakes feel less dire. So here we're gonna to get to a few tips right off the top, getting to the advice early this week. First, if you don't know something, it's better to say so than to speak with false authority. If you're not an expert, defer to the person who is. Practice separating what your opinion is from what you believe the facts are. And if you catch yourself saying, I could be totally wrong about this, but <gasps> suck back, reload, and maybe ask a question Instead of spouting an opinion, when you start off, I could be totally wrong about this, but you probably are. Another thing you can do is reward others who take responsibility for the mistakes. Rewarding people for taking responsibility for mistakes is great for team building and intimacy and relationships. And I had a situation like that recently. A team member had a bad day and she messed up. I made it clear the behavior was not appropriate. I was stern. And she took a few moments and then apologized. Really well, it was a really good apology. And later on in private, she told me more about what was going on. And to put it lightly, there was a lot going on. Absolutely no one, to put it lightly, would be their best in that circumstance. But she sincerely felt bad. And more importantly, she was owning what she did. And I told her, honestly, that the team respected her for admitting her mistake, apologizing and saying what she was going to do going forward to correct it. 
what she did was a textbook excellent recovery and everyone on the team's closer for it. Oh, do I wish she told me what's going on beforehand? Sure. But the whole thing was personal, medical, somewhat embarrassing, and people don't have to disclose things like that. She's the newest member of the group, and I get why she didn't feel comfortable. And imagine how alone that feels, yeah? Makes me respect how she owned it a lot more. And that's an example of how an individual's actions and an environment work together to make mistakes easier. I tell my team that we're all big personalities because we're superheroes. So there are going to be clashes, but after the fight, Avengers assemble. Putting a positive spin on conflict helps a lot in making mistakes easier. I'm a big fan of having the small fights earlier to prevent the big fights later because conflict aversion makes it extremely hard to own your mistakes because you're anticipating a brow beating that may or may not come. And top 10 phrase time. That's making problems that aren't your fault lead to mistakes that are. Now, when I feel like I'm being unduly punished for something I did, that phrase, don't let problems that aren't your fault lead to mistakes that are, that phrase is my mantra against lashing out in self-defense. Don't let problems that aren't your fault lead to mistakes that are, over and over and over again. The behavior of others is not under my control. And another top 10 phrase, healthy goals are based on what you can control. So you can't make someone see things your way, behave a certain way, or give you a result you want. And the harder you try to force that, the worse you're going to screw up. Because you're trying to force things that can't be forced. Now that's a situation of saying the wrong thing. What if you do the wrong thing? Actions speak louder than words, so doing the wrong thing tends to be a bigger screw up. But the same rules apply, basically. One of my absolute smartest clients doesn't think he's smart. Because in part, he works in healthcare, and if he makes a mistake, it could kill someone. But mistakes happen. Where there's humans, there's mess. So I told him that when he makes a mistake and catches it, to tell himself, I'm learning, instead of beating himself up. And if someone else corrects him, especially when he's learning a new thing, and he feels embarrassed because you know, he was corrected in a mistake, say out loud to himself and the other person, thank you, I'm learning. It's a more positive spin on the correction. Now, I had another client this week extremely upset because she failed a college course. Now, this was a combination of her psyching herself out and losing the plot of the assignment, but also the professor was a jerk, didn't give her adequate or clear feedback, and in general, the course is gobbledygook, speculative nonsense. But she still has to rewrite the paper so she can upgrade her marks so she can graduate. And that means putting herself back together and trying again. Now, when you're that upset about something, when you feel like such a screw-up, it's hard to put yourself back together totally on your own. A support system helps a lot. And in order to optimize your support system, you have to ask for stuff. And that's really hard when you're feeling like a screw up. 
in this particular case, she sent me the paper and the comments so I could help her understand the feedback. And we're going to work through the process of the rewrite together. Hey, I'm going back to university. Rodney Dangerfield, back to school. Oh, that is a dated reference. I just realized how old that movie is. I don't get no respect. Right? That was Rodney Dangerfield, wasn't it? Moving on. Maybe I made a mistake about that. In other cases that aren't so obvious what to do next, or if somebody can't come and help you out, you'll need people to what I call Samwise Gamgee you. You know Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings? They can't carry it for you, but they can carry you. Even if it's just giving you grace to let you scream and cry and yell and vent. That's something. It's even better if you've got that friend that's really good at giving you effective words of encouragement. Everybody has their different, you know, they call it love language. I'm really complicated. I'm all over the map on this one, but... Words of affirmation is definitely a big one for me. Words of encouragement help so much. Problem with me is I do words of affirmation for a living. So for words to work on me, they have to be incredibly sincere and really focused. I acknowledge I am not easy on this one. So I tend to make the mistake that I'm going to caution you against now. Don't punish yourself when you make a mistake or you're, you're feeling inadequate. Don't punish yourself through self-isolating. You'll end up learning all the wrong lessons and screw up worse next time. If you're not a talker, if you don't want to be face-to-face -face with people, um, text, right? Like, write it out. I was struggling this weekend. I was just feeling down and a... a a friend of mine reached out. He was having a bad time and I couldn't talk to him right away. I have to follow up, but, you know, at least I let him know through text because I couldn't talk that I cared about him. Was it enough? No. Do I wish I had more spoons? Yeah. But you can only do what you can do. Self-punishment doesn't do any good. It doesn't teach you the correct lessons. And I'm going to learn now from, fa from past mistakes. I've been going really long in the first segment last few weeks. Last week was really, really long. So I'm going to go to break instead of making this segment really, really long. We'll have a longer final segment on this show. When we come back, the interview, John Amadeo, psychologist and author of Dancing with Fire, A Mindful Way to Loving Relationships, and also the author of Love and Betrayal, John Amadeo, super chill, relaxing guy, is joining me for the interview after this. This guy's awesome to listen to, Doc Guys. You're going to love it. After the break on It's Not Therapy. The following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. It's time for the It's Not Therapy interview, talking, making mistakes. And I am here with John Amadeo, Dr. John Amadeo, someone whose name I mistakenly spelled and then mistakenly pronounced off air. And John was very patient with me, very on topic. John, thanks for being on the program. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. 
So we are talking about making mistakes. And in an article you wrote for Psychology Today, The Courage to Acknowledge Our Mistakes Without Self-Blame, you talk about the inner critic we talked about on the show last week and how that affects our feelings about making a mistake. So let's start there. What happens internally in a person that makes making an error so catastrophic? Right. Yeah. You know, making mistakes often is a struggle for us humans and in large part because we don't want to feel any sense of shame that we're flawed, that we're bad, that we're not going to be loved and accepted and respected by people. So it's just part of being human. You know, Benjamin Franklin famously said there are two things in life that are certainties, death mm -hmm. and taxes. Mm -hmm. But we can add to the list making mistakes. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. Yeah, that's true. And that's why I find the whole shame dynamic and honest mistakes to be, it's a particular point of fascination for me because I joke that I make mistakes for a living, right? When you <laughs> interview people, you make assumptions as much as you try not to. Everybody makes leaps in judgment, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes you make a mistake. And the older I get, the more I realize how counterproductive it is to try to hide that. Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just our shared humanity. You know, we, we all make mistakes, errors in judgment, big mistakes, small mistakes, errors of, of omission that are also mistakes. You know, all the, mm -hmm. ifs, I wish I had done that. I wish I had done this or mm -hmm. things that we did do that we, that we regret, you know, decisions about our livelihood or, we might regret how we treated somebody in a relationship. Right. And that's that's what you refer to as healthy shame, right? As opposed yeah. to toxic shame, learning from our mistakes. Like, oh, geez, you feel bad enough that you did something that you don't do it again, as opposed to shame that makes you afraid to try again. Well, yeah, well said. Yeah, there's toxic shame and there's mm. healthy shame. It's one of my favorite topics, actually, because a lot of people don't talk about healthy shame. You know, not all shame is bad. We learn from, you know, we hurt somebody, we violate our own moral code, our own values, and we're bound to feel bad about that. And that's a good thing. You know, sociopaths are people who have no shame. They just push it away. They compartmentalize it. They don't want to admit any mistakes. And these are people who are often really arrogant, and we just don't mm -hmm. like these kind of people that don't acknowledge their humanity or their vulnerability. So, yeah, we all do it. And, you know, there's an inner critic that's part of our psyche that gets down on us, beats us up for what we've done. And we can learn to be gentle with that inner critic, to speak back to it. No, it's okay. You know, I made a mistake. Okay. The good news is we can learn from it. We can grow from it. The thing is to not repeat all of our, you mm -hmm. know, try not to repeat mistakes. I mean, often we do, and then we we learn further. But the important thing is that we learn and grow. And, and healthy shame, you know, a little bit of an inner critic might get our attention but we just need a little bit of, of healthy shame. We don't need a whole lot. It gets very paralyzing very quickly. Yeah, I have a top 10 phrase I use on this show. Self-esteem cannot exist without self-compassion. And you touched on that there. The idea of being gentle with ourselves. That's a learned skill, right? Mm -hmm. That that inner critic, is it's, it's the amygdala, right? It's the stay in the mm -hmm. cave, don't run into traffic. It's there for a reason, like you said. But it seems that so many people have such an overdeveloped inner critic. And so precisely the things you talk about in your article, the 
the shame when you've you've violated another person's boundaries or rights or sensibilities that seems to be the very thing that people have a really hard time admitting to themselves and to others and i'm wondering if you have any idea why why we have why oversized inner critic right yeah and why that particular thing when we've wronged someone the thing that is most important for both our development and our relationships to admit is the thing that people seem to struggle admitting the most well, it, it takes a lot of self-worth and self-esteem to acknowledge that we made a mistake. You mm-hmm. know, oftentimes we don't want to acknowledge it because we don't want to see ourselves as bad or flawed or, or defective or somebody who has the power to hurt somebody else. We say, mm-hmm. oh, no, I didn't do that. No, you know, we get defensive. No, that, that's not me. That's about you. So we project it onto the other person and blame them. So and it's 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 a sad thing because then we just keep repeating our mistakes over and over again. You know, we keep riding roughshod over other people's sensibilities and hurt them. And especially in an intimate relationship, we keep pushing our loved one away. Mm-hmm. And we keep doing that, they're they're gonna be very hurt and, and frustrated. And, and that's why people sometimes break up, you know, we don't mm-hmm. want to put up with our our defensiveness and our denial or avoidance. So we need to take responsibility. And let me say this, there's a big difference between self-blame and taking responsibility. This oh, is, yeah. You know, taking responsibility means we're an adult, means we have good, we have enough self-worth to acknowledge, yeah, I was off there. I'm really sorry. I, I, I wasn't so, I wasn't aware that, that I said something that was hurtful. I'm sorry. I'll, you know, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to try to be a little more sensitive and kind in how I communicate. And that's taking responsibility. We don't have to beat ourselves up for it. Mm -hmm. I had a situation just earlier today where I was setting a boundary with somebody and it was the, please don't say that. Well, why not? I'm not doing anything wrong. And they did it again. And Um, I took that and somebody provided an alternative meaning to what they said. And it's like, all right, okay. Like the, the suggestion was I had done something offensive to warrant the bad behavior I was setting a boundary on. And in that position, I'm like, you know what? It costs me nothing to acknowledge that point. It doesn't weaken my position. It strengthens it. Now I have to look back in the past 10 years to where I wasn't this person, but it is so, I find it very empowering to be able to admit mistakes like that because Mm -hmm. it's setting an example. I can't ask somebody else for behavior. I can't model right and the problem is i've been doing this for so long now i don't remember how i started so you're the professional what are your suggestions for the the first steps people can take to be better admitting even to themselves you know not not others at first but admitting to themselves that they did a bad thing without being a bad person or worse a bad thing Right. I think if we can tell ourselves, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's, mm-hmm. We all hurt each other sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, making a mistake does not mean I am a mistake. It means I made a mistake. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean I am a mistake. And it's okay. And, and to realize it takes courage. First, it takes mindfulness, awareness mm-hmm. of what you've done. It takes humility to realize we're imperfect human beings, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sorry, I, I, I did something that was hurtful. Gee, mm-hmm. I can use that to grow so that we become a, a wiser person, a more 
compassionate, more kind person going forward. And it's it's not the end of the world, you know, just to, you know, take it a little more lightly. Don't take yourself so seriously. You know, we all make mistakes and it's not a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Just recognize it, acknowledge it to the other person. No, I'm sorry. You know, the three things that are really hard to say when we have a lot of shame is I'm sorry, I was wrong, I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. If we can just learn to have the courage to say those things, acknowledge it first to ourselves, like you said, you know, acknowledge it to ourselves and then acknowledge it to the other person in in a kind and sensitive and thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge difference. It repairs the hurt. Mm -hmm. It builds trust with that person for you to simply acknowledge that you were off base you made a mistake i'm sorry i was not very sensitive and and then you move on you let it go you move mm-hmm. on you forgive yourself you forgive yourself for making that mistake yeah i think that's where the fear comes in right because people think that mistakes are catastrophic instead of learning experiences and that and that's toxic environments partially and sometimes they are sometimes something breaks and you can't fix it and you have to find another path but even that isn't the end, right? This is this is tied up in a lot of stuff. It's tied up in catastrophic thinking, one, but also the pattern set by family of origin, right? Mm-hmm. How much of this is behavior that we learned in childhood because we had a parent who was never wrong, for well, instance? Probably 90-something percent of it. Is yeah. Of the, right? Yeah. You know, we, we, our inner critic is internalized from all the critical voices we got from parents, caregivers, teachers, peers on the playground, mm-hmm. siblings, all the negative messages we internalize. And now we criticize ourselves before other people can criticize us. Right. So, and so it's it's very destructive to our happiness, to our joy. And and it's not the end of the world, you know, if we make a mistake, if we hurt say something hurtful, we all do. You know, just to simply acknowledge it and it's part of being an adult. Yeah. And, and that, that and, and people accept it much more than we realize. People like it when we show most people, healthy people, yeah. appreciate when we show vulnerability and acknowledge it, you know, that we were wrong. That I'm sorry, I didn't realize I did that. You know, mm-hmm. it builds trust, it builds connection, it builds intimacy. Well, that, that that's the the where the thinking goes wrong, right? The idea that, oh, I'll be rougher on myself than anybody else. It doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you more resilient. It doesn't make you more likely to own your mistakes. It makes you less of both. So why do people do that? You no, know, it tends to make us more anxious, more depressed. That's right. More unhappy. Yeah. And it's it, it's um it's a good question. You know, why why do people do that? It's it's you know, it's a deep psychological kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's not rational. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's a way to try to protect our heart, protect ourselves. Right. But it's a misguided, of course, misguided way to protect ourselves, you know, because we we, we don't want to feel shame, you know, because I think here's the key of it. Shame is such a painful emotion, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a destructive human emotion, like, oh, to feel like the pit of our stomach, our stomach gets really tight. Oh, I'm something wrong with me. I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm defective. Mm -hmm. It's often such a painful feeling. We want to avoid it. So we shift that hot potato of shame to the other person. And, and no, I didn't do it. I, no, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything wrong. No, it wasn't me. It was you. Yeah. You know, just throw it back to the other person because we don't want to feel that painful shame. But when we work with it, it's not it's not that big a deal. You know, it's, it's just a little bit of shame. It's okay. You know, you weren't perfect. You know, often we try to be perfect. Perfectionism is often driven by shame. Mm-hmm. 
we're perfect and nobody can shame us. So perfectionism, if anyone out there, you know, feels they're perfectionistic and that holds them back, just, um, just be aware. Is there shame driving that perfectionism? And can you work with that shame and, and, and heal it? It's, it's okay to feel a little bit of shame gets your attention. You don't have to be paralyzed by it. You can just accept it and you can work with it and be kind, be gentle with yourself. That's really a key. Just hold yourself with compassion, kindness, mm -hmm. gentleness, and, and it'll it'll shift. You'll yeah. learn your experience and then you move on. And that music means we have to move on to a commercial break. We'll be back with more from John Amadeo on making mistakes. Healthy guilt, guys, when we come back on It's Not Therapy. The following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We're back on It's Not Therapy. I am still Leanna Kersner. I'm still not a therapist. And we're still in the interview talking to John Amadeo, a psychologist all the way in California. And we're talking about making mistakes and before the break John was talking about just just moving on just going on with things and you say this is somebody who's done a lot of media right you've done like CNN going back to the Donahue days like I remember Donahue <laughs> and I mean we've all had that media appearance right where we look at it afterwards and go oh why did I wear that shirt why did I say that oh I ummed so much right I've and, done it multiple times yeah probably mm -hmm. even after you and I speak I'll say oh Don why did I say that why didn't, why didn't I add this part I omitted something really important so I'll probably I've, be I've done before. yeah I've done that in my own head twice already John <laughs> <laughs> but I'm go I'm I'm rolling on just keep swimming as Dory the fish says right well, it's good if we can acknowledge it it kind of normalizes it for other people that that's exactly it when you say like i'm defective i'm a disaster and i, I sort of you know i separate between good crazy and bad crazy i mm. ain't i uh sign off the show saying you're crazy is only a problem if it's hurting you i've discovered that it gets you much farther to accept you know mm. there are certain things i'm not good at there are some things i'm really good at but there are some things i'm just terrible at and i'm not going to claim i'm good at something i'm rotten at and like you said, I do find people are understanding if you're in an environment of good people and with I think that this for people who are kind of feeling called out right now listening to this, that they know that they are very, very hesitant to admit wrongdoing, but there are reasons in their environment. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what do you suggest where someone is in survival mode? They are in one of those toxic environments where anybody who admits any error gets blamed for absolutely everything. Mm. You know, you know, people might start by finding find, finding someone who who you really do consider a friend, someone who you trust, mm -hmm. and maybe acknowledge a small mistake that you made to them, and and notice how they receive it. You might find they receive it a lot more grace, graciously and gracefully than, than you might think. You know, when I started acknowledging mistakes, I found people that were you know, very warm, very kind, very accepting. You know what? And it gives them permission to make mistakes, too, and share their vulnerability with you. So, I mean, I was lucky when in college, I was in what's called a sensitivity group where we shared our feelings with each other. I didn't know what feelings were at the time. And Really? Yeah, because, you know, I guess I was 19. and Right. 
And everybody was being vulnerable and sharing. I was just quiet most of the time because I had too much shame to talk. I didn't want to be criticized. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I started gradually to begin to open up and share more of my sadness or my hurt about something or some mistake I made, got maybe getting involved with somebody, which wasn't a good idea. And and it was okay. They, were, they just nodded their head. You know, they were fine with it. You know, they, they were okay with it. And it's gradually, I became more okay with it too, with being vulnerable. And it's okay to be human. It's okay to have feelings of sorrow. And I mean, I mean, often opening to sorrow and sadness is one way to to heal from 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 our mistakes or from our regrets. Is is that what got you into mindfulness? I mean, you've written like multiple books on mindfulness. Most recent ones, Dancing with Fire, a mindful way, of loving relationships, and love and betrayal. You're a contributing editor for Yoga Journal. Ten years, like you're hardcore into mindfulness was this the beginning of your journey when you were 19 years old right yeah I started doing yoga when I was 19 I became a yoga teacher when I was 20 and I started uh, I guess in my late 20s writing for the yoga journal Mm -hmm. I was contributing editor for the yoga journal so that was in the past I don't do that anymore for the yoga journal but yeah I left to write so I've written four books and you know, I've been a psychotherapist for over 40 years now in California, and I, I also do coaching with people. So, yeah, that was the beginning, and I was very lucky. I had some really great teachers in college. I had a great Indian t- teacher from India, mm-hmm. us the Bhagavad Gita and Indian texts, and I was gravitating toward Buddhism also at the time. I met Jack Cornfield and some other popular meditation teachers did retreats when I was in my mid-20s, so that was really an opening for me to you know, be on a spiritual path and integrate it with the best of Western psychology. Now, I mean, that's that's the sweet spot, right? With with yoga, I mean, the whole mindfulness, the meditation, the clearing your mind, that's very difficult for someone who has a very loud inner critic because the inner critic is what gets going when you turn everything else off, right? Do you right. have some starting points for those people who hear about mindfulness would love to be able to do it, but every time they attempt it, that inner critic just starts screaming at them. Right. So that's a very normal part of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our mind or attention gets hijacked by our thoughts and mm-hmm. by often those thoughts are self-critical. So just be aware that's a very normal part of the process. So people learning meditation, you know, you focus on some objects such as the breath, rising and falling of your abdomen, just keeping mm-hmm. your attention there. And when your mind wanders, it's okay. Just notice that. That's part of the meditation practice. Just, ah, my mind's wandered. Oh, I had a critical thought. Oh, interesting. Just be curious about it. Oh, that's interesting. I'm having a critical thought. Just come back to your breath and Mm -hmm. just just be with it. See, that's a a better way of describing it than clear your mind, right? Because that's not how it works. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You just go with your process. You don't resist it. Oh, you just notice what's happening. Yeah. So you don't have to kind of just rigidly hold yourself. Okay, I got to stay with my breath. And if I do it wrong, then I'm not doing it properly. No, that's not it. There's no wrong way to meditate. You just be there. You be present. You just notice what you're experiencing. You know, keep your attention on the breath. It's a way to anchor it. And you might want to find a meditation teacher. You know, Spirit Rock here in California is a great resource. Tara Brock in Washington, D.C., she's a great resource. Lots of great teachers of meditation out there. Yeah, it's that permission to have a thought or feeling notice it acknowledge it and not have to do anything about it right 
Exactly. Exactly. Don't yeah. have to do anything. Our culture is so focused on doing, achieving, yeah. accomplishing. I got to do meditation correctly. I got to yeah. achieve this, <laughs> open, this open, beautiful, empty state of mind. I've got to be enlightened, you know, next week. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It's just being in the moment, just settling back into your lovely, beautiful being. Just, oh, here I am. Ah, I'm here now and it's okay. I'm okay just as I am right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so typically modern that we take something that we can do anywhere with literally nothing except ourselves. And now we need, you know, one hundred and ten dollar pants and the mat and, you know, the right bamboo, something to do it. it. It's it's putting more and more pressure on us in an exercise that's supposed to take the pressure off. Mm -hmm. it, it's uh how how do you doing this for such a long time and seeing it become trendy how do you resist that personally because there's a pull to that that's undeniable right and so you must have some techniques to staying you know running your own race um well when i first started doing yoga meditation it was very embarrassing because hardly mm -hmm. anybody was doing yoga at the time yeah so or meditation but now it's mainstream it, 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 it's it's great you know just to um yeah there's, there's so much out there with mindfulness and it's um something that's it's great for people to learn and and to, to to be just really be present with your own being just be present in yourself it, it's so powerful and and um get away from the achievement mentality that, that, that may strain your question or maybe I'm missing some part of it. Oh, I mean, the achievement mentality is a whole other topic, John. So we might have to have you back on for that <laughs> one. Cause that's another one for me. Uh, John Amadeo, everybody's psychotherapist in California, author of four books, coach, popular blogger for psychology today. His books include dancing with fire, a mindful way to loving relationships and love and betrayal is is this is another book right, right. mindful way to loving relationships and comma love and betrayal so john if people want to check out your books find out more about you how can they find you online well they can go to my website www.johnamadeo.com if you know how to spell my name you got it it's j-o-h-n-a-m-o-d as in david e-o John Amadeo at AOL.com. You can read about my books. You can access my free articles that are on Psychology Today. I've got like over 130 articles on there that are free. Um, there's videos, audio stuff, and uh, other resources. Now we go free, the most powerful word in the English language. <laughs> free. And we're free to go to break now because this show's not free. John, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. We'll be back after this on It's Not Therapy. The following program is a peer-to-peer -peer advice show and does not diagnose mental health conditions. If you're seeking social services, please call or text 211 or go to 211.ca. We are back on It's Not Therapy for our final segment. And I'm going to pick up where we left off with John Amadeo about meditation before the break. John was such a great guest. I really enjoyed talking to him. And if you enjoyed listening to him and he inspired a question give me a call 289-275-9600 or liana at not therapy show shoot me an email there l-i-a-n-a -A at n-o-t-t-h-e-r-a-p-y show.com or contact form on not therapy show.com not therapy show twitter and instagram i freak out 
when I have to spell words out loud. I am terrible at it. I get all turned around. Blah, blah, blah. Eh, I always make mistakes. But that's not the kind of mistake we're talking about here. I, I'm just beating this joke into the ground, right? The, the whole thing he talked about, about people getting so stressed about meditation and looking for that, you know, perfect clarity of, you know, being one with the universe. So they get frustrated and they suck at it. That's an example of how people create unnecessary mistakes for themselves by either trying for perfection or not understanding the assignment before they start. And the two are connected. And that's why there's a top 10 phrase for each of them. Top 10 phrase, perfect is a lie. Stop trying to be perfect. And top 10 phrase, listen twice before you talk once. Possibly my favorite top 10 phrase. Phrase, listen twice before you talk once. Going back to my client in college, when she sent me the assignment she'd been given, I read it three times before I commented. And I noticed something. The professor used investigative report in one place in the assignment and critical analysis in another. Now, anybody who's gone through post-secondary journalism knows they're not the same thing. An investigative report involves only the facts of something. You can dig, you can analyze, you can contextualize, but your opinion has no place in a report. Critical analysis, on the other hand, requires you to offer an opinion and then back up that opinion with evidence. So I would have asked, which is it? And that one question could actually make the intention of the assignment much clearer. But that's me now. That's me 10 years ago. Me in university? No way. Well, maybe a little way. It would depend on the assignment. Professors are authority figures, right? So we get intimidated. And I remember doing the exact same thing she did when I was in school. I had this one thing. It was a, it was a women's studies course. I know, I took women's studies. Don't judge. Okay, judge if you want to. It's fair. It was a terrible course. Because... The, I got sandbagged and I see myself a lot in this client because this teacher wasn't the best teacher and gave me some bad instructions. And then there was a center for academic writing that I went to and then they gave me bad instructions. And all along, I remember thinking, none of this sounds right. This doesn't sound right. What they've been telling me, this is too long an introduction for the word count, so on and so forth. But I wanted to do such a good job that I wanted to use all the resources they were telling me to do. And the guy at the writing center insisted he knew this professor and he knew what she wanted and he didn't. He completely led me astray. And if the teacher had been a more decent person, she would have recognized that I, I followed instructions. I went to all I did all the right things and was given bad information and a good professor a good boss a good teacher would have been okay show me you actually can do it there's a do-over but she didn't she was a bad teacher lesson learned and that's an example of my mistake was not trusting my gut but that didn't warrant the punishment I got in terms of how harshly I was treated. And it's the only C I've ever gotten in my life. Ugh.
only see ever. And, you know, the minute she said, what, what do you think? Because I went to talk to her about, what do you think you should have done? I said, I would have torn off this entire first page. Well, then why didn't you? Well, because the Center for Academic Writing told me I needed to do this. Well, you should have listened to yourself. I was 18 years old. Bad person moving on, right? That's where mindfulness and meditation comes in. The opportunity to really feel and examine your feelings. And as you can hear in my voice, my lingering bitterness over that professor, right? Associate professor. Wasn't even full time. Ah! <laughs> I'm somewhat performative here. Meditation is great because it gives you that time and space to really feel your feelings, right? What does that mean? What does feeling and examine your feelings mean? Well, that's what meditation is. It's not possible to completely clear your mind. No, you can't just go blank. Minds don't work that way. That means you're dead. <laughs> Nothing. Beep, flatline. What meditation is, is focusing on your breath. Focusing on how your body is feeling. And focusing on what your emotions are telling you. And being able to play around with them, like one of those fancy, you know, the, the virtual computers where it's all just, it's like in the air and it's like hologram and all that stuff. Yeah, that's what it's like, but with your feelings, okay? You get to play like a video game with emotions. And when you've made a mistake, that sort of 3D examination of what your body's telling you, what your brain's telling you, what your heart's telling you, what your soul's telling you, that's essential. Because everybody jumping on you is overwhelming, right? And when you just sit with it, you can feel that, that guilt and you can feel healthy shame because you're making space for it. It's not getting all pent up and causing you to lash out and get bitter and withdraw, right? Healthy shame's John's term. I, I, I personally separate between guilt and shame, but the specific terminologies don't matter. What matters is, you know, as John talked about, processing that healthy shame or the guilt or whatever you want to call it into positive changes. You don't want to make the same mistake again, right? So you sit with it until you get that game plan for improvement. And that game plan for improvement is action. And that means you can put away the shame. Shame, healthy shame is just currency that you convert into action, right? It's emotional Bitcoin. I can't believe I just said that. I am suitably ashamed. But again, you know, to set a healthy game plan for improvement, you have to really understand what went wrong. What went wrong with the emotional Bitcoin thing I just did there is I was trying so hard to be funny because I thought I was getting too esoteric that I reached for a joke and it wasn't a good one. Now, a lot of the time, it's a lot more complicated than that, right? Yeah, you screwed up. You can see where, but other people did too. And especially in those situations where you feel unfairly punished or blamed for too much by too many people and no one else is owning it, the urge to dig in and be stubborn as a self-defense mechanism. Just don't admit you're wrong on principle because nobody else, no, you go first, right? I'm not going to go first. You go first. That's a really strong urge. 
And that's why it's more important than ever in those moments to admit to yourself and others where you honestly see you went wrong. Don't let problems that aren't your fault lead to mistakes that are. Some things you can't control. And self-compassion, as John talked about, is important. Top 10 phrase, self-esteem cannot exist without self-compassion, right? Being blamed for things hurts. But it is impossible to completely avoid getting blamed for stuff, getting blamed for stuff unfairly, right? That's life. The solution might be to back away from that group of people that's blaming you for stuff, at least for a while. But if you do go back to that group, turning that healthy shame into positive action is absolutely essential because if someone won't let go of what you did, if they're just griefing you, you can repeat your positive action plan to yourself, to steady yourself, instead of fighting with them or falling apart. Just because somebody blames you doesn't mean you have to blame yourself. It is possible to not blame yourself even when a ton of people around you are. I do it all the time. Being a public person means a lot of nasty lies get spread about me. In the last few weeks, <laughs> I won't get into that. I'm, it's just an amusement. I know they're not true, and that's why I can laugh at them. They're, they're ridiculous. I know I own my mistakes when I see I've made them. And I work every day to be better. And that's all I can do. Now, understanding your own core values, you know, top 10 phrase, core values are more important for relationships than common interests. Core values are incredibly important in making mistakes as well. And the reason the relationship angle is there is because those people who share your core values won't jump on you that way. Because you've got a shared core value of kindness and restraint, right? The other thing core values do is it means that you make the right mistakes. More of the right mistakes anyway, and less of the wrong ones. It's that Kobayashi Maru thing, right? From Star Trek. You have to fail. How do you fail? That's a core values test. Core values are your compass to figure out the right thing to do. They help you make decisions in no-win situations that at least have you come out with your conscience clear. And that was, that's the thing people in the meme, the Kobayashi Maru, miss a lot about Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Kirk cheated on the Kobayashi Maru, and so he was unprepared for how to fail when he couldn't cheat at life. The whole point was that cheating on the Kobayashi Maru just so Kirk could be exceptional, be the one guy who did it, the guy who beat the odds, that was a mistake because he sidestepped the test of character that it taught. He was so wrapped up in ego because Kirk's not the logical one, right? Spock's the logical one. He's the big emotional, oh, we do all the things guy, right? And he was so wrapped up in ego, so wrapped up in winning and not 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 making a mistake, not losing, that he cheated and he didn't get the lesson. And the movie bites him. I'm not going to spoil it because if you haven't seen Wrath of Khan, please see Wrath of Khan. It is cool. It is submarine battles in space and it's awesome. And it's a metaphor about why you shouldn't cheat. 
And one thing I cannot cheat is time, the clock. We are out of it. So I will leave that here until next week where we're going to continue the topic. We're going to talk about failure next week instead of mistakes. A bit of a pivot, but continuing because I could talk for another hour about this, right? But until then, I'm going to sign off. Leanna at NotTherapyShow.com. Fill out the contact form on NotTherapyShow.com or check me out on Twitter, Instagram, NotTherapyShow.com. And remember, you're crazy and your mistakes are only a problem if they're hurting you. Talk to you next week. Bye.